This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us in Appleton or uh, the Fox Valley. It's not technically in Appleton. Where are they technically? Manasha. Ooh, the Fox Valley. And uh, Stevens Point. And of course, so many still at home joining us, uh, doing church at home, and people all over the world, literally, who will watch and participate in this broadcast. Let's uh, recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. I want to pause just for a moment to talk about our offering. Our offerings are done now virtually online. Many of you have signed up for recurrent giving. If you haven't done that, let me encourage you, do that. It's the most uh, powerful thing you can do, positive thing you can do financially for us as an organization to just go online and say, yes, uh, I will commit X amount of dollars every week or month or however you want to do it. It helps us with our budgeting and planning and stuff. Uh, or uh, many can give on the way out of your campuses this morning. There'll be people with buckets. If you still want to put something in physically, a check or whatever, you can cash, you can still do that. Many uh, give uh, via the phone. Text to give, which uh, if you want to grab your phone and do that, you can certainly do that right now. You're sending a text to this number, 77977. That's the number you're going to send a text to. In the message part of it, you then type in CCWI, which stands for Celebration Church, Wisconsin, CCWI space, and then the dollar amount. You hit send, and, uh, and it'll take care of it from there. If it's the very first time you're doing it, uh, it'll ask you some questions to set it up, but once you've done it, it's all just automatic from there. So uh, you can give that way. And thank you for your continued uh, support of the church. Uh, our giving continues to climb, which is a wonderful, glorious thing, particularly when so many people are struggling today. Uh, God has blessed us. And uh, I spoke uh, a few weeks ago on our first Sunday in Epiphany. We asked, hoping people would get this epiphany of what it means to be, uh, have a generous mind and a generous attitude, not to have a poverty mentality. You remember that sermon? Many people struggled all their lives, still struggle with a poverty mentality. I had someone uh, 
they don't attend our church, but uh, sent a thing, and they, they still can't get it. How can God be abundant? He is. He just is. There is no limit to what God can do. And, uh, and it's a wonderful thing. The Bible says, if you will be generous, God will be generous back to you. This is repeated over and over and over and over and over again. Why don't people get it? They need an epiphany to turn the lights on. Uh, these are people who struggle in everything. They struggle with their finances. Everything's a limited pie with their love, with their commitments, with their time. Everything is limited, and somebody is always trying to take something from them. There's people right now listening to me, and I talk about the offering. All they can think is someone's trying to take something from me. If this is your reaction, you are suffering from a poverty mentality. Thank God that we can have an abundant mentality because our Father in heaven has that kind of mentality. And we pray that God will open our eyes and see that more and more. And the more you do it, the more you will be blessed and succeed. You see, you say, well, will I be rich? <laughs> no, be nice. <laughs> but uh, rich in the sense that you will have more than what you need. That's what God promises. More than enough. That's a good thing to always have. What's a drag is when you never quite have enough, Right? When you're always at the end and there's just a lack all the time. Everything is just struggle, 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 struggle. God wants to bless you in a way that you can always have more than you need. Again, be generous to God and God will be generous back to you. Who says so? He does. <laughs> you can trust him in this. Anyway, we are now in the fourth Sunday of this time of Epiphany where we're encouraging uh, God to come and give us a spirit of revelation and knowledge into spiritual things. Uh, coming up quickly is uh, something really important in February. No, it's not the Super Bowl. <laughs> Although that can be important for many. Would have been a lot more important to us <laughs> had we not lost. <laughs> but it is what it is. Uh, uh, but uh, Ash Wednesday is coming up. Was that the 17th? Is what it is. So if you make plans for the 17th, it's a Wednesday, is our Ash Wednesday service. It's a fun service. We got it planned out this year. I'm really excited about this year's service. And uh, this is when we do the ashes and everything else. It is a time of reflecting on our mortality and a time of praying to God, of just repentance and commitment. And, and then it begins the season of Lent. Lent is 40 days of just uh, committing ourselves to God and of what's known as a Lenten fast. Now, this doesn't mean you don't eat for 40 days. It, it means that people historically would give up something that they really like uh, as a time of a fast. It's, uh, you know, for some people, it's coffee. I know some of you, that gives you your nerve shaking, just the thought. But uh, others, it's booze. You have the same reaction. <laughs> Others, it's chocolate. You probably have the same reaction. You, usually, it's something you, your body just loves, love, 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 love. And then you say, I'm not going to do it for 40 days. Why? It's your way of telling your body to shut up. All right? Your body doesn't determine who you are. God determines who you are. Your body is fighting your spiritual life. It always is, always has, always will be, until someday we all turn back into dust. And it's just a way of reasserting ourselves. And, and by the way, historically, I was, I've been studying more on this. Uh, the 40 days, if you actually add up the days from Ash Wednesday to Easter, it's more than 40 days. And it's because apparently Sundays don't count for whatever reason. I, I don't know who made up these rules. Yeah, that means if you give up chocolate, you can get into a chocolate coma every Sunday. And then 
And then you go back for the rest of the week and no more chocolate. So the good news is you get a break on Sundays. And, and the history behind that is even uh, in a time of Lent, Sunday is always a celebration of the risen Christ. And that's why uh, they give you a break that. And obviously, there's no big rule about it. Nobody's going to follow you around and check on what you've been doing. But this, well, Becky might. But this is, <laughs> she's really strict, this one. This <laughs> I'm just teasing. This is what we do. And it's a way of just getting ourselves, and it's a way of preparing for the great celebration that happens during Holy Week, Good Friday, and then, of course, Easter Sunday morning, where we celebrate the resurrection. So, all that coming up. Today, I want to read to you from the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter, starting at verse 21. Well, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit, a demon, if you will, cries out. Now, this guy, who knows how they knew this? Uh, he was, you know, couldn't control himself. When someone is possessed of the devil... Uh, they can't control themselves, and it's really weird, and it's really creepy. And if you've never seen it, thank God. Uh, if you've ever traveled, many of us have traveled overseas into other parts of the world where stuff like this is much more common, and it's creepier and all get out. And, uh, they're, you know, it's, <laughs> they're not just mentally challenged. These are people, there is something in them that is driving them. And they are all, and here's the thing about it. Uh, generally, you don't need a spirit of discernment to see if someone is possessed of the devil. Apparently, it's clear to all, <laughs> even to those who aren't very spiritual. There's something wrong with this dude. There is something creepy about him or her or whatever. And, and they do horrible things. They can't control themselves. Uh, anyway, so this person who they knew in their midst had this problem was there. And this demon starts crying out inside of this person. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So people don't know who Jesus is at this point. They have no clue. These demons, they recognize him. Why? They know who he is. They're pretty familiar with God. They're the ones who rebelled against God. And they're roaming on the earth. And all of a sudden, God shows up. And it freaks the willies out of them. And Jesus told them, shut up. Well, be quiet. I would have said shut up. And, and, and uh, come out of him. And the impure spirit, should, now visualize this. He looks at this guy, says, come out of him. Everybody turns, looks at him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and comes out of him with a shriek. That's seriously creepy, okay? If I'm there, I'm just going, oh, my word. And the people were all so amazed. I'll bet they were. And they asked each other, what is this? Today I want to talk about what is this? You know, we live in a world today as did Jesus 2,000 years ago and has everyone since Adam and Eve rebelled against God. We live in a world that is darkened in sin. And there's people who just don't get it. God can show up and do amazing and incredible things and they don't understand it. They just don't understand it. Much like these guys. Jesus himself is there and all they can hear. What, what, what is this? I don't understand. What is going on? 
during this season of Epiphany, and this message pretty much is a recurring message during every time of the year, the most important epiphany people can have is to understand who Jesus is, that God would become real to them, that they would transform from the world of what is this to, oh my goodness, this is God. This is God. God is still, even to this day, doing incredible things in the world. Now, I know that we live in a world of darkness and confusion. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on, but I promise you, uh, there is, God is doing things. You say, well, how do I know? This is when you want to pray and ask God, keep our eyes open. Help me to see. And if there's one recurring prayer, not only this time of the year, but really all year long, whether you're gathering here with us or fellowshipping over at Stevens Point or in the Fox Valley or whatever, the one thing we can pray all year long is, God, give a spirit of revelation whenever we gather and celebrate Jesus, that the lights would turn on for people. Because the reality is, I can't do it. Nobody can do it. People, you can have the best preacher in the world up here making it super clear about what God is doing and how you can come to know God. And without the Spirit of God giving an epiphany and understanding and opening the eyes, people will just respond with, what is this? And they will not get it. We read of an account in in John's Gospel, the 12th chapter. Jesus is praying, and he prays in front of all these people. He says, Father, glorify your name. And then check it out. Then a voice from heaven says, I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. Now, that's pretty impressive. When someone prays, and then you hear someone talking back, <laughs> it's, wow, this is pretty wild. Well, check it out. The crowd standing there heard it, and said it was thunder. They didn't quite get it. Some got it. Others said an angel spoke to him. But by and large, people, they didn't hear it. To them, it was still, what is this? What was that? I don't know. I, I heard it. It's kind of like a rumble. Maybe it's going to rain. You know, they, they hear thunder. They're, they're not hearing. Why? Uh, Paul, the apostle, wrote of this problem in Ephesians the fourth chapter when he wrote to the Christian church there. He says, the problem with people in the world, this is everybody until God makes things real. He says, they're darkened in their understanding and they are alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. Make no mistake, we live in a world of great darkness that has fallen over the world since Adam came. Now, the good news is in the midst of this incredible darkness of the world in which we live, and by the way, take heart. You know, I know people are struggling and a lot of crazy things going on in the world today, but then they think this is, this is the worst the world has ever seen. These are people who are ignorant of history. This world has gone, and, not, and just over the last 150 years has been through a lot worse than anything we are experiencing now. You think the country at this time is, you know, everybody's so divided? Yeah, it was, I don't know, about 150 years ago, tens of thousands of Americans would line up across from each other and blow each other's brains out. It was called the Civil War. You don't think that was hell going through that? I mean, we have people, you know, protesting one way or the other. <laughs> That's not nearly as bad as someone sticking a cannon in your face and blowing it off. All right? It was full of hate and divisiveness. You have world wars. You've had Hitler. You've had all these things. There are multitude of things that have been so many times worse than it is today. Now, is it still 
disappointing where things are at today? Yes, but take heart. God is not freaking out. He's still in charge. And even in the midst of this great darkness, do you know what? God is still shining his light. And we don't have to walk around with a constant sense of, what, what, what's going on? I don't understand. God, open my eyes. Help me to see what you are doing in the world today. And the beauty of things being dark is that the light really seems bright. Now, if I'm standing outside and I take, you know, they got these real cool flashlights now, the super bright LEDs, you know, something. If I'm standing outside and I turn those on, you won't really quite see anything. Tonight, about midnight, you turn one of those things on, it's really amazing how bright they are. So as much as people don't like the dark, the good news is that the light gets brighter. And God can become clearer to people during this time. And that's why we need to pray, that this spirit of revelation would hit that people in the midst of this darkness and frustration and fear and hiding in basements and wearing 47 masks over their face. And Have you read the latest? Where they want to test people? It's not here. It, they say it's more accurate. Really? <laughs> Think I'll just not follow the science on that one if you don't mind. In the midst of this darkness, need not be discouraged. This is a great opportunity to let light shine. So Paul says the problem people are darkened in their understanding. They, they live in a cloud, spiritually speaking. They just don't get it. Everything and anything God does is just, what is this? But then Jesus talks about a transforming moment that can happen in a person's life, indeed must happen in a person's life, if they're to see God. Jesus talked about this, uh, recorded in John's chapter, uh, gospel in the third chapter. He said, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, if you've heard this phrase, a lot of times people think, well, that's just talking about a certain type of Christian or certain type of people that believe in being born again. No, it's not just a group of people who believe this. Jesus said, you don't get into heaven if you don't have this happen. And he goes on later and says, you must be born again. Say, well, I was baptized. That's great. Well, I go to church all the time. That's wonderful. I'm a nice person. Fabulous. Is that enough? <clears throat> nope. You must be born again. What does that mean? Now, to explain it, you have to look at where we are as human beings. We were created in the image and likeness of God. Uh, God is a triune being. Three, yet just one. People sometimes struggle with that. I always say the easiest way to understand it uh, that we deal with every day is the concept of water. Water is made up of only one thing. One thing and only one. There's nothing else but one thing. It's H2O. That's it, okay? You learn this in science class. It's H2O. It's water. If it gets really hot, it turns into steam. It looks different. It acts different. But it's only one thing and one thing only. H2O. And then, as we in Wisconsin are well aware, if it gets cold enough, it transforms yet again to this wonderful ice that we have 
outside our doors and snow. It changes again. It looks different. It feels different. What is it? What is this incredible thing that we have? It's one thing and one thing only. It's H2O. This is the easiest example God has given to the world to understand his Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's all just one. That's the way it works. It's the Holy Trinity that we talk about. A lot of people don't understand it. In fact, even in other cultures, Muslim cultures, for example, they actually think that Christians believe in three gods. That's it. They believe in three gods. So There's only one God. Yeah, we agree there's only one God. We don't believe there's three gods. There's one God, but yet in three things. So, I mean, it's, it's rather fascinating. So, anyway, we're made in the image and likeness of God. And like God, we, too, are three Things that make one person. It is body, soul, your emotions, your intellect, and your uh, spirit, which will live on, all of it eventually will go on for eternity. And these three things make us who we are. My body is me. My soul is me. My spirit is me. Okay? Now here's the problem. Because of sin that came into the world, we are born, the Bible tells us, spiritually stillborn spiritually, every man, or I was going to say every man, woman, and child, only children actually are born. Uh, <laughs> at, least, at least that's my understanding as I follow the science. All right? Uh, pretty much just children are, are born. Every child ever born is born spiritually stillborn. In other words, their body is alive. Their souls are alive. Their spirits are are stillborn. It's not alive. It's just not. And I'll tell you, every person in, throughout the history of the world uh, without God in their life has sensed this. There is something missing. There is something. If you're the kind of person listening to me, maybe you're listening to me all around the world this morning and, and uh, you don't even know how you found us as, as you're watching this program, thinking about who are these weird people. Uh, you've sensed it. Everybody sensed it. There's something wrong. There's something missing in my life. And people are desperately trying to find it. You would think, some people, well, if I just have enough money, but people with lots of money still can tell there's something wrong. Say, well, if I just had this, or if I just had that, or if this would change, or that would change, or if I got the right drug, or drank enough alcohol, or this partied hard enough, that that will fill, and it doesn't fill the void. There's something missing. There's something not quite right. This is what has given birth to all religions throughout the world, pagan religions and everything else. Why? They're trying to fix it. Something's wrong. There has to be an answer. And then it dawns on that it has to be something bigger than us. It has to be a God of some sort. And they reach out in their blindness and the darkness that Paul wrote about, trying to find God and coming up with their formulas and stuff like that, desperately trying to fix what is not quite right. But here's the good news. In Jesus Christ, when God forgives you of your sins and the Spirit of God touches you, Jesus describes it as being born again. That spiritual part of you comes alive. And everybody who's ever truly known God through Jesus Christ knows this experience. Now, some is rather dramatic. Some, not so much. It comes in all kinds of different forms. But one thing is that you know that you know that you know that you know. Most of us listening and gathering at our campuses this morning. You've had this experience. That's why we gather. 
That's why we sing. That's why we celebrate. That's why our life is different. It is amazing when all of a sudden, for the first time in your life, whether you're seven years old or 77 years old or even older, when this happens, you are now complete. Oh, life changes. It's an incredible thing. The Spirit of God comes. You are born again. Jesus says, you must have this experience. And he makes it possible through his death on the cross that anyone who would believe in him could know God. And it's interesting that so many versions of Christianity have forgotten this. They've made it about, you know, this, that, and the other. People, just churches virtually, virtually teach that. Well, when you're baptized, you're born again. No. When you take communion, you're born again. No, you're not. I mean, these are all wonderful things that are part of our faith expression and, and different ways of explaining all of it. But you have to have this encounter with God and this encounter with God that I cannot create in you. I can talk about, but until God makes it real to you, all you're going to wonder is, what is this? What is this? What is he even talking about? And these are the people I feel the most sorry for. We need to pray that God would bring a spirit of wisdom and revelation, an epiphany that would fill our congregation all the way through, everywhere we go, and everything that we do in proclaiming the good news. Every Sunday when we proclaim the good news, let us pray, God, make yourself real to people. Because this is when the transformative power of God kicks in. And it's a glorious thing. Jesus said in John the sixth chapter, he said, for this reason I have told you that no one can come to, the, come to me unless it is granted by the Father. You see, without God granting an epiphany, God himself can speak, and most people would only hear thunder. There's a story in the gospel, or not the gospel, the book of Acts. You've got the four gospels, then you have Acts, which is, which is the Acts of the Apostles. That's the history of the early church, and then all the epistles. Uh, but uh, in Acts, we read in the 14th chapter, verse 8, in Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. And young people, that doesn't mean he was a dork. He means he really, I know your parents are lame, but I mean literally lame where he couldn't walk. That's what it means when one is lame. And he had been that way from birth and had never walked. This is significant, to have never walked, all right? And he's listening to Paul as Paul was speaking. And what is Paul doing? He is explaining the good news of knowing God and of experiencing Christ. And as Paul is speaking, the Holy Spirit is at work granting faith and epiphanies. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and he called out to the sky. He says, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now, to understand the incredibleness of this miracle, it's one thing if your legs don't work, and then suddenly, by a miracle, they now work. You generally still need to go through therapy to relearn how to walk. People generally, you know, animals for some reason, they can pop out and, you know, they, they can walk around, you know, uh, but people cannot. There is something that has to be learned and it takes some of us a really long time and a lot of falling to figure out even the healthiest person, everything working, takes a while to learn how to walk. Not only does God heal this person, immediately he gives them the sense of balance and understanding to having never walked in his life, he just starts walking. Wow, that's, that's impressive, right? 
So he's preaching, and he's in this area where you're talking about people darken in. He's, he's in this pagan culture uh, in Lystra, and he's preaching. So all these pagans are listening. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language. Now, they're celebrating. Now, Paul and Barnabas are probably thinking, well, this is cool. They're praising the Lord. We heal this guy in the name of Jesus. He's like, this, this is amazing. But what they don't get is what they're saying is, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes. <laughs> they thought they were the Greek gods coming down. So they're all going, la, 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 la. And Paul said, this is awesome. We're getting through to these people. But he's not getting through to these people. They think that they're gods. Verse 13, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths. They're celebrating like crazy. I'm sure Paul and Barnabas initially thought, this is amazing. So many people are going to get saved now. And what they're doing is they're bringing all this because the, the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. <laughs> and if you keep reading the story, when it dawns on Paul and Barnabas what they're doing, they are mortified. What are you doing? They are yelling at him, stop, stop, stop. We're just people here proclaiming the good news about God. And with all their effort, it says Paul and Barnabas had a hard time getting them to stop worshiping them and sacrificing to them as though they were some kind of gods. We read in John's gospel, the first chapter, it's the very beginning, where Jesus is just starting to call his disciples together. Verse uh, 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee and finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and said, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel goes, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of there? Philip said, Come on, come and see. And when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And, and Jesus said, well, I, I saw you when you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Well, how does he even know this? And this is an amazing thing. And Nathaniel declares, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And even Jesus said, Really? <laughs> You believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? <laughs> he says, you're going to see greater things than that. And indeed, he did. Look at the difference. Here these people saw an, a miracle beyond anyone's ability to comprehend. They don't get it. And yet one guy, Jesus says, you know, I, I saw you when you were under that tree. How would he know this? From that simple statement, he proclaims Jesus to be the Son of God. Which, by the way, um, God can make himself very real to people in the simplest of ways. It isn't the dramatic thing that happens. Some people think, well, gee, if just more great miracles would happen, more people would believe. I, I don't know that that's true. Look, 
for some, God can use that. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that God is giving a revelation. I mean, you could be something dramatic, you know, poor Becky would fall over dead, and then we raise her from the dead, and which I'm sure she doesn't want to have happen this morning. But, uh, you know, and some people would believe. Other people, it's just some little thing, and all of a sudden, God becomes so real to them. It's the same thing. It's all about the epiphany. It's all about understanding who God is. So in summary, what we need during the season of epiphany is for the Holy Spirit of God to come, speak to people's hearts, open their eyes, and make Jesus real to them. This is what we should pray for. This is what we should expect when we gather and proclaim the good news. Amen. All right, so we're going to turn to our time of communion this morning. This is when we reflect on how all this is made possible because Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world. His body was broken so that we could be whole. His blood was shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. And the Bible says, even to those who have been born again, uh, are we now perfect? <laughs> no. No, we still struggle. Why? We're still dealing with this body that uh, fights us in every way. And our tempers get in the way. Our lusts get in the way. Our frustrations get in the way. And we make mistakes and we sin. And the Bible says, before we take communion, just pause. Reflect. If there's something that's not right, ask God to forgive you so that we keep a short account with God. So I'm going to invite everybody in Stevens Point, our Appleton Camp, our Fox Valley Campus, those of you online here, just to bow your heads, and I'm going to pray a prayer of forgiveness over all of us. Heavenly Father, before we celebrate communion this morning by partaking of the bread and the cup, in obedience to the scriptures, we pause to examine ourselves. If we've sinned against you in any way, something we did, something we uh, should have done and we didn't do, um, something we said, thoughts, whatever, we ask you, God, that for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus, that you would forgive us of our sins. Lord, forgive us. And, and even as I'm praying, if you can think of something specific, just mention it to God. Ask him to forgive you. Lord, you made yourself a sacrifice for our sins. Have mercy on us. Forgive us of all our sins. And as heads are bowed and people are praying, maybe you're one of these people who up to this point, everything was, you know, what is this? But all of a sudden you're getting it. The spirit of God is making it real. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and you can see it. You can experience, you get it. Just ask Jesus to come into your life. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to come into your heart and life. And you now can be, experience this wonderful thing that we've talked about, of the new life of God being real in you. Amen.